Hello. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Inter Show. Joining me tonight is Anthony and Alessandro. How are you guys? Good, Andrew. Thanks for having me again. Very good. Thank you. Um, we're going to start by reflecting on the weekend's result, the weekend's false starts, if you like. Um, I'm com- I come at this from... Um, you'll probably learn as you listen to more and more podcasts that I can be quite um, pessimistic over over the performances of Inter. Um, I think the lads were sort of having a laugh at how pessimistic I was following Sunday's um, result. I kind of come at it from an angle of I been there, seen it, done it, as far as Inter are concerned, and. Um, almost, almost from a scaramantic or a superstitious point of view, um, that the the worse that I see the situation, the the less bad it's actually going to be. Um, Alessandro, we'll start with you because I think you were probably the more optimistic, most optimistic of the four of us on um, following Sunday night. How do you see the situation at the moment? Are you re- are you revising your predictions for the rest of the season, or are you ju- or are you just taking this as uh, as a once off? So I, I don't know if I'm um, optimistic or realistic, but um, as I was telling you guys, I think it's just the first game of this uh, of a very long season. Um, a lot of things still needs to get in the right place. Um, a lot of players just came back or they're still injured, so um, it's it's a little bit premature to to be so dramatic. Uh, I would say just keep calm and, and, and force the Inter at the moment. Um, we have a game every few days this season, so um, it won't be the, the first and last time we see um, our team in, in difficulties. So um, we need to you know, keep it together. <laughs> and one way we we did a really bad performances, uh, but at the same time, um, we didn't have the all the players. Uh, the the field was awful. The ref did a couple of I don't know weird calls. So you know, um, I I I don't know. I, I don't think this is the game emblematic for this season. It's just the first game. Uh, is what was it? August eighteenth. Um, so you know, I saw, I watched a little bit of Juventus game, uh, a little bit of Naples game. Um, I, I didn't see the the teams ready. Um, there was a lot of walking, uh, especially in the second half, uh, not running. Um, so. And on top of that, I just want to say, every time we play against a swallow, it's you know it's something dramatic in the recent years. So uh, let's let's hope this coming game will be better. 
My big problem with it is where I uh, where I'm concerned is that the character of the team has been shown at, certainly in the second half of last season, but in years past as well, has been shown to be quite brittle. And the moment that they face a difficult situation, they tend to go completely off the rails. Uh, an analogy I'd make probably is if, if for people who are aware are a followers of tennis, if you look at the difference, say, between Djokovic, Federer, Nadal on the one hand, and Murray on the other, if Murray makes a mistake and costs himself a bad point, he tends to dwell on it, and he'll lose. He, you know, he he'll lose the run of the match for a period of time. Whereas the likes of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic will say, "We'll just clear it out of their mind, and we'll focus." a hundred percent more on the next point and will win the next several points. Um and I just that's where I'm that's where I'm concerned is that this could we've seen this kind of thing spiral out of control very quickly um with these players. I know there are new ones, but the new ones coming in can't be expected to take up a leadership role that pulls us through the difficult period. Um, and I'd also refer to Napoli and Juventus and say that whilst they didn't perform well, they got the job done. They still managed to get over that line somewhere, whereas our players just weren't capable of doing that on Sunday night. Um, Anthony, do, which of those two trends of thought would you align yourself with? Well, I probably would have aligned myself with yours um, a matter of hours after the match. But as the week's gone by, I think I'm more inclined to agree with Alessandro. It didn't take long for me to see it more in perspective. Um, the first match, yeah, was a little bit rough. I think all of us are really still coasting on the, the final match from last season. Seeing as though we all ended on such a high, it was so easy for us to carry that hype into the preseason. And then when we just started making signing after signing, I guess the hype didn't really have a chance to die down all the way down to the final minutes of the Vidal and the Modric sagas. It was a pazza inter mercato. It was a pazza inter offseason. So I don't think we've had a chance to really come down mentally from all the hype. And then when you have a scrappy 1-0 loss to your bogey team on a farmer's pitch, it just basically makes all the optimism and the hype come crashing down quite quickly. But once that all finished and, you know, the rational thinking and logic resurfaced, I'm, I'm going to say I agree mostly with Alessandro. We were missing a fair few fundamental players in their positions. Not too sure um, if it was the right decision from Spalletti to rest so many of our players. But, you know, I, I trust him. I'd rather, I'd rather this result take place on the first match of the season where we can still make sort of a few tweaks and changes in order to realliterate where our strengths are in the starting eleven. And I think I've already read a few articles this week that are saying that Spalletti is expected to make a fair few changes to the starting 11 for the match at the Miazza against Torino. Vesalico is definitely coming back to start in right back. I've read Perisic will definitely be starting the full 90 minutes on the left wing with Asamoah behind him, which I'm more excited to see because, uh, yeah, I wasn't too impressed with Dalbert against Sassuolo. I still think he's got a bit of a mental block there and it's, not looking 100% for him um, at the moment, despite having a good preseason. So on top of that, yeah, I think I think we'll have a few players back. I think Keita is expected to start as well. So I'm a lot more optimistic and I won't 
completely jump on the pessimist bandwagon just yet, but it was a disappointing result. And I think we'll all forget about it really quickly if we can just put on a star-studded show in front of the 60,000 fans at the Miata. What I would say is that um, certainly the Gazzetta dello Sport, um, just to echo what you're saying about Perisic coming back um, and starting on, uh, is it Sunday? Is it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday, I think. Um, certainly Gazzetta is saying that Perisic is in line to start and had an article today about how him, how fundamental he is for the team. Um, also, was a lot of reflection in the Italian press and Gazzetta is the newspaper that I read on a daily basis and so the, that's more more what I get my information from. They were kind of reflecting on the fact that Sassuolo is such a bestia nera, a bet noir, a bogey team for, uh, for Inter. Um, you know, that they, that, that, that they are the, the nemesis for Inter Perhaps in the same way as, let's say, Sampdoria probably are for Juventus. Um, they, that's they, they are. So they, the newspaper was saying, you know, don't get ahead of don't don't get ahead of yourself. You know, it's just the first match of the season. There's a long season ahead of us. So the, I would say the journalists in general are are. Um, are concording with your the opinions of you two. Um, I, I probably am just a bit pessimistic, having been there and done it before. Um, but hopefully we'll get back on track. The, a lot of the talk in the newspapers this week has been about the use of VAR and the that there seems to be a lack of protocol or the protocol isn't being used. In, for example, um, Gazzetta definitely made reference to the fact that Inter were unduly punished, that there was at least two occasions where Inter could have got penalties and the one... Um, were the one that was given to Sassuolo was worth discussing. You know, it was disputable. The... Do you think that it's, I mean, as Interisti, I think we have a tendency to sort of scream, um, complot, but scream scandal um, and wonder if there's anything going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Do you think it's that? Do you think it's just the referees having a bad performance in their first game of the season? Or do you think that it's a, um, or do you think, do you think it's just a run-of-the-mill thing that's happened, or do you think there's something more sinister behind it, Alessandro? I I hope it's just a bad day for the ref, but um, I have to say I just found out that basically the the rules uh, behind VAR uh, changed for this season. So um, it's not going to be like last year that every episode um, is going to be verified by VAR. But it's a at the discretion of the ref. So basically, like in Sassuolo, um, against Sassuolo, the referee um, didn't think the um, the Asamoa contact was penalty. Uh, that was his decision, and that's it. There was no way to go um, check the VAR because that was the. Um, the referee's decision, there was nothing 
too big to check. And with the new rules, um, that this is it. While next uh, last year, there was a possibility to, to double check. Um, I honestly don't like this. Um, I have to say it's not something uh, that um, Serie A or La Lega uh, impose, but it was more like um, something that the uh, WEF organization uh, imposed. Uh, so again, if we want to to see some some sort of complot, it's I I don't think it's like um, like a Juventus uh, against everybody, uh, but it's more like um, at a different level, let's say. Um, but again, my hope is just it was just a bad day for the referee like for us and um and let's just keep playing let's see you next week anthony i i wasn't aware of that myself um but anthony, if that's the new role that's come in would you prefer that it went back to how it was last season that they continued with the way that alessandro has just described or another um alternative that has been discussed in different quarters is again referring back to tennis this opportunity for a team to raise a challenge so for example in tennis and I believe Alessandro can clarify this whether or not this is true I think it also happens in American sports where um, a team or the player as in tennis has the opportunity to challenge a call and the, the, the officials then have to go to VAR. Am I right that that exists in certain American sports, Alessandro? Yeah, more than the the players is the coach usually. Okay. Um, as a team, yeah. And Anthony, which of those three would you like to see it go down? Or are you happy with the way that it is? I'm not really happy with the way it is now because, you know, the lack of coherency and the lack of structure, it's just not something that, is fair you know we can't keep having these moments week in week out not just inter it's fans from all all sides that there can't be issues where in one situation a penalty is given or a foul is given or a decision is made and then an exact replica of that decision does not go down in another fixture on the same match day there's just too much discrepancy there and um yeah so the way that it's going at the moment i'm not a huge fan at all i think asamoah was denied a clear clear penalty in that match against Sassuolo. In terms of making any changes, I, I don't think the change to move to VAR was a good one. So I don't see how, see how making any sub-changes in the same sort of bracket and category would help. The whole idea of a challenge situation, I, I really don't think it's something that can apply for football because in tennis, it's more of an individual challenge. You have, you have one individual with complete accountability and responsibility, whereas football, um, it would probably fall solely on the captain and the captain's decision on the field in the starting 11, whether or not they want to make a challenge. But that would lead me to the question, what if, say, hypothetically, a captain was to make a challenge for a call in the first half and then a blatant challenge would be made later on during the game, which the referee would miss, but then the team wouldn't be allowed to challenge that because they've already used their challenge. And then there's a whole other rule brought into the game, which would be looking at dividing the fans' opinion as well. I'm not too sure where I fall on the whole thing because I feel as though I am very, very much hopeless and powerless. So, but to, 
honestly, the bottom line is I'm not too happy with the VAR and the way it's running, especially in the Serie A at the moment. It makes me think about what's going on in the Australian National Rugby League at the moment. We've got a whole bunch of discrepancies with referees just because there is no structure in terms of the video assistant referee that can be called in to make decisions. There is total disautonomy between the referees and there's a complete revolt against them in Australia. So not too sure that would happen in Italy, but I'm seeing a lot of similarities. If I can add something, um, yeah. I, I think the VAR last year, at least in Serie A, worked pretty well. I think there was some statistic out saying that 90% of the VAR call were correct. So just a 10% was, um, right, was, you know, was still uh, after the VAR review was, wasn't um, going the right way. But with this new rule, the power goes back to the ref. And I, I, I don't see what's the point of VAR at that at that point. You know, it's if the ref, like in our case, uh, thinks that the first is clear penalty and doesn't need the VAR, and the second is not penalty and doesn't check the VAR, then what's the use to have all these cameras and to have reviews? Um, that that's pointless. And um, I don't, I don't understand these these new rules, honestly. I could see, I could see it coming in, or I would like to see it coming in um, along the way that it's done in tennis, where each player has three challenges. Um, if the player, if a player in a tennis match makes a challenge and his challenge is proven to, so for example, let's say that the ball is called out and the player thinks that it was actually in and he challenges it, and it is shown to be in, well, he still retains that challenge. Um, if, he, if, if he challenges it, and it's proven that the umpire was actually correct and it was out, he loses one of those challenges. So there's an incentive on him, not to you or her, for that matter, um, not to use it sort of just, for example, to disrupt the game um, because th- there is the penalty there that if you make a wrong call, that you lose one of those challenges. On the challenge basis, um, Alessandro, how does it work? In, in which American sport is, is it applied where a team or a coach can make the challenge and how, how is it applied in that sport? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure 100%. I think in American football, um, you have three calls, um, and it works pretty much like in tennis. Uh, but don't quote me on that. And, um, I think in basketball, it's more similar to the VAR situation where, uh, if it's like clear that something went on, um, they just review and and they make a different call uh, without anybody actually um, having a number of calls or something like that. Um, sometimes they call a, a I don't know a timeout so they can review the action, but uh, that's an extreme example. Um, let's say it's more similar to the VAR of past year. That's that's it. I think I just I think everybody would agree though that it just it has to be on a basis that's fair for everybody, and yeah. I would I would just wonder whether with UEFA there's there's a sort of maybe a, there's a panic there because to be honest during the World Cup it wasn't applied it wasn't applied well um, 
also in the Bundesliga last year, it was very unpopular because of the time um, involved in getting it done. Uh, you know, decisions based on VAR took ages to accomplish, whereas they did take time in Italy, but they didn't take that much time. Um, and I think UEFA has just probably had a knee-jerk reaction to something. And, you know, it's something that needs addressing. If I asked you both to pick one positive thing from Sunday night's performance, Anthony, what would you highlight? Probably highlight Asamoah's versatility in terms of deployed almost anywhere on the left-hand side of a pitch, whether defensive mid as a left back, as a left mid to accommodate for a poorer left back, i.e. Dalbert, or even pushing up into the left wing role in the first half. I don't think the left wing, wing role is his strongest position and that should he should only ever be played there as the last resort. I don't see why we should be playing him anywhere near a front uh, with the amount of attacking options we have now. But I, I think the formation was a little bit flawed in terms like in, in the eyes of the fans that put Asamoah on the left wing. But in the match, he didn't really deploy up as high as Perisic would. But another thing I want to say is that I, I really admire his decision-making process. A lot of the time, because he is naturally left-footed, he's very easily able to dribble the ball in and cut in on his right or go around the defender on his left. He doesn't necessarily look to swing in a long cross straight away or look up. I notice he doesn't look up to the 18-yard box and you know put all his eggs in the crossing basket. He's very, very able to just dribble the ball inside and deploy a pass back to Brozovic or back to the midfield. He's very composed and settled on the ball. And if he can start in that left back position behind Perisic, I think we're going to see a much better Perisic than we did last year, because a lot of the times where Perisic went missing last year, it was matches where he was required to do a lot more on the left-hand side, especially when there was no Icardi. I think the inclusion of Asamoah is going to trigger a domino effect on many other players in the starting 11. So I really hope that they can start to gel really well together because I think he's going to be a key this season. Uh, I thought Politano was decent, but that's where I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave most, if not all, my credit to Asamoah. He was the standout for me. And Alessandro, what would you highlight as being something good from the match on Sunday? I have to agree 100% what I just said, um, exactly what I think. Um, the other positive thing, if you want to say, is that we see, uh, we have seen um, our, um, let's say, mistake. We, we see what we have to cor- correct right now. Um, I seen the the Fry and Miranda was the first time they played together, and a lot of time they did the same movements. So when they need to work on that, we see that Brozovic, if is out of shape, uh, brings down the whole quality of our plays. Uh, we're seeing that uh, we need as I'm on the left and uh, Dan on the right is is good. But just enough. Uh, just defend, um, and and that's it. Sometimes it's in difficulty for that too. Um, and and we need Perisic on the on the left, and uh, when Keita and enter on the right, we see like a spark. We see some like good play going on. So. Um, and this is all waiting for Nangolan to join the team. Um, so again, I'm glad that was just the first game. If we had 
this kind of problem in three months from now, then I will start to to be uh, not so optimistic. Um, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna surprise people by saying what I thought was a positive aspect from the game. Um, lot, lot of people will know that I'm quite highly critical of Handanovic at times, but I really thought that his performance um, was the best on the field, certainly from an Inter point of view on Sunday night. And he did a lot of the things that I would expect a goalkeeper to do. For example, you know, there was a couple of times where he turned the ball around um, rather than letting it rebound into danger. Um, he was more, I thought he was more commanding. And there's, there's a few interviews the, on social media being hitting out at him for, uh, for making a mistake on the penalty. First of all, I don't really see how a goalkeeper can make a mistake when he's facing a penalty anyway, simply because, you know, it's really, really, really weighed in favour of the of the centre forward or whoever's taking the penalty. Um, but he didn't get that. He wasn't too far away, if I recall. Uh, he wasn't too far away from the penalty either. Um, so I think, he, you know, his performance does deserve, uh, does deserve remarking upon um, in terms of negative, I don't want to look for a scapegoat and beat somebody up because I think it was a poor team performance overall. But uh, I, uh, Dalbert's performance was really disappointing, particularly as he'd shown some signs of improving over the summer. And I think it's really coming to the point where we have to question how much he can really offer us. Um, Anthony, do you think we should still give Dalbert time or do you think that he's, he's shown himself not to be inter-class? I think we should give him a little bit more time because, you know, he is, he is still a left-back by nature and there is no way we should be throwing away a player in a position, in a full-back position that we need. All it's going to do is open up room where we need to buy another player. That being said, he's he would not be a starter for me. Obviously, I'd be playing Asamoah uh, every single time this season in that left back role. So I guess Dalbet could be used sporadically as someone who could come on in the final maybe twenty to thirty minutes if we're up by a couple of goals. It also wouldn't hurt to start him in some copper match, a couple of copper matches. And you know, I wouldn't mind him being used as a utility. It's just that I would need to see some signs of um, his confidence progressing a little bit over the season. I don't know how many more times I can see him get on the field and just look like he's shaky and playing so conservative, not really looking in his natural element at all. So it's way too early for me to say that he's not good enough, but I definitely think he needs to start showing some more signs of confidence and progressive play or else we're all going to be worried. And Alessandro, do you, do you think... Do you think the week should give him time or do you think it's time to cut our losses? I kind of feel bad for bad for Dardar. I don't think he plays so bad. I don't think... I, I don't know. I, I think some people are trying to, to find a scapegoat for the, that game. Um, all the team played really bad. If I have to find the worst... I I would point at uh, Brozovic was totally out of shape, and uh, I I totally get it. I mean, you just finish a a World Cup, and uh, you need some time to get back. And um, but at that point, I I need to 
understand what's behind Spalletti's decision. Um, Dalbert uh, was trying to do his best. He's not. Um, he didn't play the, for the last two seasons, basically the last season and, and part of the previous. And it's sometimes he needs some confidence and uh, and last game totally erased the good work of the preseason, in my opinion. So when when he's coming back on field and uh, for how long? But I don't think it's uh, a bad player after all. Uh, I just need to to feel that it's part of the group, as part of the team, and not another Jonathan, let's say. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, and I'm going to ask you your view on... Well, I'm going to start with you, Alessandro, because I think what... If people are... if Maybe people are aware, maybe they're not, of what happened with Nyingolan. Basically, Nyingolan was in a nightclub on Friday night in Dalmine, which is in the province of uh, Bergamo. It's only it's only actually two stops, two quick stops on a train um, from Bergamo um, city centre. It's it's a couple of miles away, uh, but he was in a he was in a nightclub on the Friday night, and apparently, or there's a video of an interista saying to him, um, "You're supposed to be playing on Sunday." go home, go to sleep. Um, and Nyingolan raised his middle finger at the at the supporter. Now, what I would say is there has been a bit of a, of a commotion over this. Um, and having an understanding and an appreciation of Italian culture, I think that there is a certain gravity attached to that in Italy, that it's not, I'll put it, put it this way, in Ireland, in Wales, uh, England, Scotland, for a friend, for a friend to do that to another friend in the pub, for example, is not taken as that grave uh, as, as a thing. It's taken more as a joke. And the way that they, the way that he smiled at the person, it looked to me as if it was a, you know, it was probably two friends messing around. Um, but I am, I do, I am appreciative of the <clears> fact <throat> that. The middle finger has a gravity in other countries, Italy included, that it, it doesn't necessarily always have in in some other cultures. Now, I'm not sure what Belgian culture is like, um, but that, that's that's my view on it. Now, Alessandro, obviously you're from Italy, so you have a better understanding of the gravity of it there. What's your reading of the situation? Is it behaviour that you just wouldn't expect from an Inter player? Or um, is it something that's being blown out of all proportion? The second one, for sure. Uh, the player wasn't on the field. It was um, out partying, of course. Uh, we know Nangolan. We know that that's part of the package. When you buy this kind of player, you have some kind of... Um, uh, you know, it goes to the party, goes to disco, and 
the drinks, the smoke. Honestly, I don't care. Um, there were players like him before, and they did great. Mm. I I don't know, just to say two, I remember best, I remember Moroni, and they were great. And uh, this is part of Nangolan. I don't think the middle finger is something so bad that, you know, is <laughs> young people, young generation now, uh, they they don't really care about the middle finger, at least in Italy, you know. Um, then if it does something like that during the game to the curva or some supporter or another player or the coach, that's different. But private private life, uh, unless it's something really really bad. That's private life. I, I don't honestly. I don't care. I'm not here to judge them. Uh, I'm not uh, a, a pope. I'm not a priest. I'm, I'm just an inter-supporter. When they they play and they play well, good. If they don't play well, I criticize them. But that's that's all. At least that's my point of view. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I would also um, po- I would also point out in terms of what happened, that he was actually out with his wife. Um, he was out with a friend and he was out with his wife. So, exactly. you know, that, they, have to, they, they have to have, they have to have a, a private life as well. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's not the ideal way of behaving when you're a famous person, but equally, you know, yeah, I would agree. He has to have a he has to have a private life. It's not like he was. Um, it's not like he was buckled drunk. Um, it's not like as if he was out with you know a few a, a number of different women and was um, really having a serious jolly up. Um, and and also the fact that he he's injured, so he wasn't going to be playing on Sunday anyway. Um, and I would also point to the fact that different people have different constitutions. You know, there, there are there are those that are able to go out and have a few pints in the middle of the week and play very well um, when it when it's demanded of them. There are other people who have to be much more mindful of um, what they what they're taking into their bodies, and that's just that's just biological uh, makeup. Anthony, what would uh, what what did you think of it? Yeah, well, going to what you said first, the whole thing with the rude finger coming from Australian culture, putting the rude finger up at someone, especially in a pub or a drinking setting, is pretty much second to waving hello and going, "Can you hurry up and get over here and have a drink?" Or can you, can you please get your ass over here? Excuse my language and come and sit down and have a good time. So, especially since I've read that he was with his wife and with friends and with family, I, I highly doubt there is anything. Um, to this. And, you know, as, as Alessandro said, he wouldn't be the first player who was going out and at least having a good time. I'm pretty sure as a kid, um, when I was only about six or seven years old, my dad would chuckle and say, oh, by the way, Christian and Ronaldo club till about four, five o'clock in the morning. And then they just rock up at training like nothing has happened. Now I'm not putting Rajan Angolan on the same scale as Ronaldo from Brazil, but as, as Alessandro said, it's not the first time it would happen. And people have different, not only different moral landscapes, but people know their own lifestyle, what they can do, what they can take in. And as you said, Andrew, it's not like he was jumping up and down on the table, swinging a shirt over his head, belly dancing or anything like that. He looks pretty 
calm, complacent and chilled there and having a good time. So I read absolutely nothing into it. And had we gotten a victory against Sassuolo on match day one, I think the whole perception of this would have been a lot more skewed towards the optimistic side. Yeah, and um, just a, f- a funny couple, couple of funny stories based on that. Um, there was a time when Nottingham Forest were in a League Cup final. Uh, this is in the eighties, I think, and I think they were they were playing somebody like Liverpool or Manchester United. They would have been perceived as being much stronger than Nottingham Forest, and the players were very um, were very nervous. Brian Clough uh, proceeded in the hotel the night before the match to get the players absolutely legless drunk. Um, and they went out the next day and won uh, three or four nil because they, they, they just hadn't had time to, or they hadn't had time or space to be nervous. I'm not suggesting that Spalletti goes and does that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, it shows how much football has changed. And one thing that I uh, also perhaps another funny story but of a personal nature is that the town that Nangolan was out in on Friday night um, I was actually out there in 2000 and I was one of the weekends I went across to watch Inter one of the many weekends I've been across to watch Inter um, I was out in that town till about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning um, and I was present in the stadium on the Sunday evening and we beat Milan. So my record is better than Rajas. Uh, <laughs> going forward to the match against uh, Torino, um, Alessandro, do you think there's going to be a massive improvement in performance? Do you think we're going to get the three points here? And if so, how are we going to get them? Uh, um, the match against Turin is going to be another hard one. If we win, I don't see any big scores. It's going to be another 1-0 or something like that. Um, I know that uh, both Spalletti and Mazzari won't be on the bench for this week. Um, I I don't know if it's a good thing uh, or not, but that's something to count on. Um, I would say everything depends on the player's condition. And I think about Perisic, Skriniar, Brozovic, um, the, the Rizalco, the new uh, right back. Um, so um, everything depends on that and Nainggolan, of course. Um, so I, I'm not really able to say uh, much right now. When I see the possible formation, I will have my ideas uh, more clear. And Anthony, oh, we're gonna win seven nil, and Ekadi is gonna <laughs> score four goals. <laughs> That's exactly what's gonna happen. <laughs> now I'm probably gonna have to agree with Alessandro to be honest. Uh, as much as I want us to see it be a complete smash up 4-5-0. I, I don't think we look like we've got those legs in us. But you know what? We could be mistaken. A few times last season, the team looked like they were due for a little bit more of a negative dip and then we turned it around with a 5-0 result or a 4-0 result. So I'm pretty confident that we can get the three points. Um, 
in regards to what Alessandro said, yeah, I also read that the two managers won't be on the sideline, which I'm all for. If losing Luciano on the sideline means that we keep the great curse of Mazzari far away from the touchline of the Miata, <laughs> I'm all for that. That, that. that equals out for me. I just don't like his face, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Last season's match against Torino was one of my least favorite matches. I think Mazzari went out of his way to annoy and get under the skin of every Interesta in the world. That was his aim, mm-hmm. and that will definitely be his aim again on Sunday, especially since we are already in a negative limelight. He's licking his lips saying, how can I make this campaign worse for every Interesta in the world? So as sad as he is, we need to keep him sad. I would, uh, I would also point out, or in my opinion, it, uh, for a 5-0 result against Torino is very highly unlikely. Um, yeah. You know, Torino are not, Torino are not, uh, uh, you know, Torino are not a Frosinone or a, or a, or a Kievo. That they can, they, they can equally, they can give you a shock result, um, as I think we learned with. Spal last year, um, but you know if you're going to have four or five nils happening, it's going to be against that kind of caliber of a team rather than a Torino. That, in my opinion, Torino alongside Atalanta are going to be two of the let's say provincial teams that are seriously challenging to get into Europe. Um, uh, next for, for the next season, um, I can't see Torino. In, in all honesty, I can't see Torino finishing any in any other part of the table than sort of tenth up to the top half or the left hand side of the table, as they call it in Italy. Um, I I just uh, I think they're a very very solid team. I think they're a very confident team. I think they're a very competent team. And although Mazzari didn't do that well at Inter, I I think the same is true of of him. So I I mean I'd be happy getting out of that with a one nil a two one win. Um, so and and hopefully just getting back on track as soon as possible. Uh, I think we're going to call it a night after after that. Just to just to give you a bit of optimism, um, the likelihood is that you'll be listening to this podcast at the earliest on the 23rd of August, given the time that we've recorded it at. Um, the 23rd of August, 2009, we started the season with another bad result, uh, Inter 1, Barry 1. And look at what we achieved in the rest of that season. So a bad start doesn't always mean a bad season. Um, I'll sign off with saying thanks to Alessandro and Anthony and Forza Inter. Thanks, Andrew. Forza Inter. Ciao, Alessandro. Thank you, guys. Forza Inter.